All right, all right, all right. We are live. Hello, hello, everyone. Excited to be here again today with you at the Collective Genius Code, a podcast that tries to bring the greatest people in the world together because amongst my, the, the, my amazing network as I journey through life, I meet incredible people. I meet people who give me the chills. I meet people who make who inspire me. I meet people who make me go, yes, I can. And I definitely meet people who help me understand that, yes, superhumans do exist. Today's guest is a person that came into my life by surprise through some beautiful introductions in my journey in Moscow. He came to me by surprise because at that stage in my life, I knew superhumans existed but I never truly met one and I never met someone who spent majority of their lives looking for them, meeting them, interacting with them, studying them. And amongst his journey, he's not just studied them, but he's been able to make an awesome documentary on them. He's been able to bring some of them to the Western world and see how they actually have these superpowers. Try to take these superpowers and teach the Western people, especially business people, how to become superhuman so they can deliver more greatness to the world. And I'm very, very excited about today's topic, the happiness ecosystem. So ladies and gentlemen, please, please, please help me welcome to this awesome podcast, my good friend, an amazing, amazing human being, David Vardesi. David, welcome. Yeah, thank you very much for the very enthusiastic introduction. <laughs> I'm excited to have you on board, man. I know that you are a busy man. You are giving speeches all over the world. Even now on Zoom, you're still, you know, giving the world something to wonder about when they go to sleep. You're constantly making documentaries. You're writing things. You're you know, giving so much to the world. Tell me, what is the most exciting thing you're working on right now in your life? We are working on this beautiful uh, happiness ecosystem that works across, at the moment, five governments. And uh, it's something that is going to go global, I hope, uh, with next year already. And I'm going to jump right into it so that you have an understanding of why it's relevant to each one of you here. Um, the very beginning of civilization, I would say, it turned around the thematics of how we can diminish our suffering, diminish our limitations, let's call it this, diminish our stress, tension, and maximize our well-being, okay? And now, when you diminish your limitation and you increase your well-being, the equation maximizes your happiness, okay? So Aristotle, the father of Western philosophy, decreed that the purpose of human life is eudaimonia, is literally to be happy, to find this happiness, which is a balance between what they call hedonistic happiness that is materialistic happiness, the happiness that you have by having money and fulfill your desires and living the kind of life that you want, um, you know, realizing yourself. So that's kind of called the hedonistic happiness. And the eudaimonic happiness, that is the happiness of the soul, the happiness of the mind. Okay. Now, just a little bit before Aristoteles, which lived about 2,300, 400 years ago, a couple of hundred years earlier in, in India, 
another man came across something similar, and that was the Buddha, the historical Buddha, who fundamentally made a similar statement and recognized that if we find a way to eradicate the roots of human unfulfillment, limitations, aka suffering to a degree, right? And we find a way to maximize the potentials of our mind for good, for love, for kindness, for gratitude, for compassion, okay, for meditative equipoise. Okay, we can reach a state of rapture, a state of transportation into all another realm that brings us away from what he calls samsara. Uh, and, and we are extinguishing this limited realm and we are to a certain degree reborn into that into the realm that is beyond everything we can define. And so that's the ultimate effort. Right? Now, if if we jump a couple of thousand years in, in, in the front, right, we get to the uh, American Constitution that says that the pursuit of happiness uh, is the right and duty of every human being. So in a span of, you know, 3,000 years, we have seen that humanity as a whole strive to define what happiness is and to find suitable strategies for its realization. Because everything that you do, from the moment that you stand up, you do it for two reasons. One, you don't want to suffer, you don't want to be uncomfortable, you don't want to be miserable, you don't want to be limited, you don't want to be stressed. Two, you want to be happy, you want to be fulfilled, you want to feel amazing. So these two drives uh, are the drives that literally propel every single thing we do, from the kind of breakfast we choose, to the kind of partner that we choose, to the kind of activity that we choose, and the kind of activities that we avoid. So when you realize there is something so semantically rooted in the human nature, the quest for happiness, which is equal, again, to diminishing suffering and maximizing well-being, you better start to ask yourself, what did we realize so far? And so what we did in this ecosystem, we took 3,000 years of history, and we look at all the existing and, and strategies that have existed, okay? And we bring them together, crisscross them, optimize them, and then we deliver it to you. Uh, we have uh, Stanford University involved, Berkeley University, Harvard, uh, we have the Karolinska Institute of Sweden, we have major institutions, we have few governments on board, the government of Bhutan, uh, which is a small Himalayan kingdom, which was the first government to uh, create an happiness index. And now we are working with the Chinese government that they want to nationalize this as a system in China and as a system of cryptocurrency. So there's going to be the first tokenization and cryptocurrency based on happiness value. Can you imagine that? And then we're working with the Emirates and Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, but specifically with the Emirates, where there is an already existing ministry of happiness. So this is, if Gil asked me what's the most exciting thing that I'm working right now, that's it. That is it. Love that, man. Well, you know, when, when I ask people that, this question, they come up with something that is very business oriented, a new client they have. 
something that is maybe interesting and unique and special because I think that so far everyone that I've interviewed are, are absolutely amazing people. But what you've just said is something that, you know, when someone would go walking in Tibet and ask a, month, a monk what's his biggest goal in life, they will say, well, I want world happiness. And pretty much David is working on that. Yeah. He's working on the happiness ecosystem. You're working on that formula, that code. Yeah. So David, for those of you who don't know you personally, um, give us in, in, in a few moments that journey that you stepped onto. Why did you choose to leave the Western world and suddenly go on this journey to discover all this kind of all these cultures and you, you were searching for something. Why did you go on that journey and what were you looking for? Sure. Well, it goes back to what I just stated. I was trying to find a way to escape my own suffering, my own limitations, okay, and discover an increased state of potentiality or well-being, which then would lead to happiness. So the balance between the two would eventually be a state of happiness. And so that's really the simple answer. And I, I you know, dwelled uh, in depth into anthropology, uh, philosophy, psychology, mythology, that were sort of my studies and my, my, my majors. And I left early on in my life for a very long journey, which took about 30 years, um, traveling around the world and, and, and seeking extraordinary individuals in each culture uh, that would have somehow display qualities that were, are difficult, if not impossible, to find you know, on the street, let's say like this. And so what Gil mentioned in the beginning, these characters, you know, we call them superhumans. Um, and it was a fascinating journey, which you know, brought me from Italy, where I was born, all the way to Asia, where I spent most of my life, uh, Taiwan, Thailand, Indonesia, India, Nepal, Tibet, uh, China, you name it, you know, literally Japan, the world over. So every single part of Asia, Papua New Guinea, you know, all the little corners, Burma, and all countries that maybe you don't even know, Bhutan, okay, and Nepal, all of them. And, and I, I had a bit of, a, of luck, a bit of maybe of a talent to find these extraordinary yogis, shamans, monks, healers, you know, not, not, not kind of your average one, people that could really display the kind of wow things that you see in Harry Potter movies and the Matrix. And then it was in Africa, extensive in Africa and South America and Central America and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Many, many of you might have heard of Carlos Castaneda, maybe, okay. Well, it's very funny because I met, I'm, for those of you who heard about him, uh, I met Carlos, uh, uh, I was studying with this very old shaman in Mexico and one day the old man says, you know, there is another white guy here that, you know, that, that come and see me and, you know, there were not many of us. This was many, many years ago. And so there we go. And we met with Carlos Castaneda. I had no idea who he was at the time when he was speaking, right? And uh, Carlos passed away now. But this teacher, Last time I checked, he was still alive. He was 104 years old. He had 12 children. This great shaman. Anyway, so long story short, this, this long and extensive journey, 
I studied that in Christianity. I went to Ethiopia, where this is the root of the yogi Christianity, and Athos Mountain, and, and Romania, and Russia, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so this long journey, which started as, as an exploration, yes, of the human potential, of what is the, the latent inherent power of our minds, of our hearts, of our love, of our energy, huh? of our desire. Um, but it fundamentally really started as, as a journey to again diminish human suffering. In the beginning, it was very egoistic. It was my own limitation in suffering that I wanted to escape and, and realizing a greater level of well-being. Now, many, many years later, I can say that it worked. It was, it was not a linear journey. I made a lot of mistakes, detours, you know, back and forth. Uh, nowadays, I, would, I probably would do it very differently if I would have to curate this journey for someone. I would make it much smoother, but uh, the results were good. And so after these 30 years of ascesis, I spent years in silence in the mountains, alone in the jungle, eating only once a day. I went several months only eating prana, energy, you know, without any physical food. I did all the kind of extreme ascesis you can imagine, okay? Um, and then eventually when I came back, actually, I didn't want to come back, one of my t-shirts, pretty much kicked me back. I was in, 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 in Tibet in the mountains and you know, he sent me back um, saying, everything is done. The only thing now need to work on is compassion. So go back, take care of fellow you know, human beings. And uh, you know, I still truly had a bit of an attachment to these mystical states where you live in the platitude of mind and there is no self, no identity, no limitation. You know, the state of bliss, it's, it's your nature, right? So when my teacher kind of kicked me back, it was really the final last great teaching, not get attached, not even to that subtle sense of a spiritual ego, of that sense of, of perfect happiness that you have realized. You're realizing that every single person that is still suffering is still a part of you. So that also those people should be touched to a certain degree. And, and so when I came back, I, I wanted to understand what happened to me. And, and as, as Gil said, I decided to go and test my own mind, my own brain, and we did a lot of MRI, you know, all kind of machine they put on my head, and they see, oh, look, the brain of this guy, it's different. You know, the way that he's wired and he's connected and the way that he fires is different. His hormones are different. His blood reading are different, right? So I say, okay, so all these things, they actually have, they actually transform a person at the very core level physically. And then I realized that these guys start to ask me, it's like, how is your mental state? And I'm like, yeah, pretty much. I would say that 85% of the time, I'm always glad and happy. I don't know what depression, sadness, and fear really is. You know, I can get like, you know, I'm Italian or temper. I can get, you know, bah! you know, if something happened, you respond immediately. But, it's gone like a cloud in the sky, right? So 85% of the time you're in the state of, woo, feeling good, excited, horny, full of desire, life, you know? And I realized that a lot of people are not like this. So they say, well, that's something to be done here. That's interesting. I love that, man. So, you know, it's something you, you, you studied for many, many years this, uh, on your journey uh, you studied anthropology, you studied these cultures, you studied happiness, you looked for superhumans. Um, 
what is the most beautiful and the scariest thing you discovered about humans? That we are very attached to our suffering. We like treasure our suffering, our limitations, our little, you know, literally our little suffering, you know, our little demon inside. We so cherish it, you know, and we are so afraid to step in our light, to step in our greatness, to step in, 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 in all that we can be. Because to step in all that we can be, we need to let go of everything that we are not, of everything that we think we are, but we are not. And to do that, it's a fucking huge work. You need to deconstruct, break down your mind. And that's what I'm very good at, okay? I can hammer you down, break you, make you cry, and then you can let go of all these egregors, belief systems, all these voices, all the narrative of your identities, right? And then eventually you're like, oh, when you can finally let that go, then, whoa, suddenly here you are. You know, it, um, when, when, whenever I've, I've heard you speak and whenever we've had, we've had many, many opportunities to have one-on-one -on -one talking, um, I, I've always enjoyed our conversation because they were always very much, at the same time, down-to-earth, very practical, very, very kind of actionable, but also at the same time, in the cloud, big thinking, you know, open completely your mind to the, the impossible that is right there in our reach. And something that always interests me is someone who comes from a very, very simple background. You know, I, my, my parents were very, very simple people. You know, my dad was a carpenter. My mom was stay-at-home wife. I grew up next to farms in Israel. My name actually, Gil, means happiness, you know. But on my journey in life, I've not always been happy. I've had my ups and downs. I've had my people kicking me down. I've had successful failures in business. And... As an entrepreneur today, going through super challenging times in business, I know that a lot of our listeners in, the, in our podcast and right now live on, 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 on Facebook and on Zoom, many of them out there are saying, okay, yeah, happiness sounds good. It's out there. But you know, like right now in front of me, my business is challenging. The economy is challenging. My, my family lives with me in quarantine for a few months. That could be difficult for some people. What are those some maybe simple life hacks, how someone could understand the, the beauty and the simplicity of life that could really help them like right now in business? Is there something that people could do, a little test, a little life hack in the morning, a little routine that works out for you? For sure. Um, again, this one, this, this strategies for happiness, it's a very... Uh, it's a very complex system because the human mind it's it's incredibly complex and reality is complex. So, uh, with that said, um, I will give you a few examples, allegories, and and you know see what you can take away from it. First thing first, exercise number one for everyone. Those of you that are really self-confident, try this exercise for a week. Those of you that are not so self-confident, try for three days. Those of you that are afraid of big changes, try for one day. 
okay? Do so that what you think, what you say, and what you do, it's one and the same thing. Do it for one week and your life will change. Probably you will lose a lot of people around you. Probably for the best. What you think, what you say, and what you do, one. Not two, not three, one. That's the first thing. This is one of the greatest training and uh, it's, uh, it's part of a traditional sort of practice, which again probably goes back to the, to the Buddha, but one of the most famous modern proponents of it was Mahatma Gandhi, uh, who made it sort of his major teaching and practice you know, in his life. So I definitely encourage you to try this. Uh, it's incredibly simple and yet incredibly difficult. Second thing that you can try, also very simple, for 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, uh, say yes to everything. Hmm. <laughs> I love that. Just say yes. There's a good movie with Jim Carrey on that. It's a good movie. What, what? There's a good movie with Jim Carrey where he has to say yes to everything. Okay, interesting. Um, say yes. Why? Because uh, our suffering is mostly us saying no to reality. When something doesn't go the way that you think it should go, inside you are saying no. I don't accept this. Okay, and that's when you suffer. That's when you struggle. That's when you lose energy. So as, a, as an exercise, this I call it of uh, mental yoga, that is a mental asana, mental flexibility. Uh, tai Chi, mental Tai Chi, don't resist. Saying yes means do not resist. Whenever we say no, we are resisting. Okay, we put our ego, our wish, however right we might be. We don't, we don't, don't enter in the question that we might be right. But we are in a state of resistance, of conflict. Okay. So try for however long you can, but give yourself the time, do this a task. Okay, one day, 12 hours, whatever it is, say yes. What life gives you, say yes. And, and not just the bitter yes, but try to say that gratitude yes. That's, that's a higher level that you are able to see that whatever is coming to you is actually a chance, a possibility. They say that uh, rejection is redirection. Right. So whenever you feel that there is a no, that there is a resistance, that there is a rejection, that there is a no, understand that that, if you don't resist, if you tai chi around it, it's just a redirection. And it's redirecting you exactly where you have to go. Say yes, that's the second exercise. The third exercise, I will tell you a story with one of my teachers. 
who was a, a Zen monk, Korean Zen monk, probably he was one, if not probably my most influential teacher, who beat me blue for many years, literally. His way of teaching was very physical. So whenever there was a delusion, an illusion in the mind, he just, you know, you know, hit me very hard. At the end of the day, I was like in pain. But he was not hitting my body. He was hitting my mind. He was hitting all the ignorance, all the delusion, all the lies. And the, the shell of the ego, the arm or the protection of the ego. And anyway, many, many stories with this man. One, um, he would tell me, go to the shower, you stink. I was like, okay, you know, go to the shower, go to the teacher, clean. I come back to him, we sit for a few minutes and say, you stink, wash. Okay, second shower, you know, come back. You know, and, and it wasn't exactly next room, you know, you had to go home, okay, and come back to the temple. <laughs> Sit together, silence, you stink. Okay. This went on for three days, okay. No explanation given. Now, you have to understand that the training that I did was very traditional training. Most people in the West nowadays, you wouldn't be able to do that. When you commit to the teacher, uh, you are his to do what he wants for nine years. Okay. He can mop the floor with you. You say yes. Okay. So that, that's the kind of um, training. So anyway, after three days, so there is no question, okay? Because every word, every action of the teacher is a teaching that you simply may or may not get. Anyway, after three days of this, I came back, you know, okay, you know, he's, he's doing his game, fine. There is something that I'm not getting here, but I'm playing along. Going back to the temple, we sit, he look at me, and he say, how many times you wash your body in this day? They say, I, say, I think like 15 times in the past three days I took showers. And you still stink. Why? And I was like, man, I have no idea. Did it ever occur to you that you only wash your body? What about your mind and your heart? When is the last time you wash your heart? You are carrying the rotten smell of your pain, of your guilt, of your shame, of your fear, of your anger, of your hatred, of your envies, of your jealousy, of your pride, of your arrogance that have festered in there for God knows how many lifetimes. That is what you must wash. And for me, that was such a pivotal moment in my life because he gave a whole new framing and understanding of, of what I was doing. And so nowadays, when I pass it on to you, I would say, take it as a form of mental hygiene. You wash your teeth every day, you wash your body every day, Wash your mind and wash your heart every day. 
How do you do that? There are many instruments. Now we don't need to go so much in depth. Prayer, mantra, thousand kind of meditation, doesn't matter. You know, for now, whatever is it that you like to do. Wash your mind and wash your heart every day. I love that, man. I'm going to make sure that my team makes a note of this because I know that on the 26th of August, we have a very, very exclusive mastermind with you. I'm going to ask them to make sure that the first thing we cover in the mastermind is the routine of the daily washing of your mind and your heart because I'm super curious, man, and that's awesome. Wow, man. So I wrote down quite a few things. The three challenges I leave you with. That's, that's, that's a really, so the exercise one that you mentioned, you know, I remember that actually you've said this to me in the past and I personally always found it difficult to exercise. I'll be very, very honest, man. I've, I'm not a lazy guy, but I found it difficult to go to the gym. I tried yoga. I tried different like martial arts and stuff. I know you've done over a hundred martial arts that I know of. I've seen you, I've seen you do some moves, man. Um, I've always found it very difficult to find that discipline. But when, when Corona actually hit, um, I understood that uh, I need a very, very strong core. I need a very strong body because I'm not necessarily traveling around in the world as much. I'm sitting in front of a computer a lot more. I'm doing speeches like this instead of walking on a stage and engaging the audience. So I needed my body to be very strong. I found an awesome teacher here. But even with the teacher, the, the five times a week of practicing was not enough for me. So what I did personally is I set a big goal in front of me that I'm working out towards something, which I just did this past Friday night. I went up a mountain here, Mount Agung, the, an active volcano here in Bali. So to me, the exercise part where I completely agree and I appreciate you've always told me, come on, Gil, you know, like, you know come on. Um, for me, I did it towards like this kind of, this, uh, this big goal, it, again, for me, it was a mountain, you know, climb a mountain and come back down safely, which my body in is, is, was definitely in some very healthy pain. Walking up this mountain, you cannot have any uh, negative thoughts. You must clean your mind completely as you go up. Uh, it's a part of the, the, the practices here locally. And for those of you who could see my face now, it's a little bit red because I got an Agoon kiss that the you know, sunrise and up in the mountain at 3,000 plus meters gave me a nice little kiss. And I love the saying yes to things. Uh, this is not easy for many people. I know that you're the kind of guy that says yes to a lot. You say yes to, when people ask you for help, you're an amazing mentor. Uh, I've experienced it. I've seen people that you've completely changed their lives with, you know, one personal coaching session. And it's not easy to get a coaching session with you, but you're a very, very giving, beautiful man. And I mentioned the movie with, um, with Jim Carrey because it's, it's a funny movie where he needs to say yes, but you could see in a funny comedy how he goes through this incredible transformation uh, through awkward situations because people are afraid to say yes because they might look silly. People are afraid to say yes because they might do something stupid. But when you say actually yes, so I've had that belief system when it comes to networking. When you meet people, I believe that in your mind, say yes to them. Yes, I'm curious about them. Yes, they're an amazing person. Yes, I want to connect with them. Yes, I know I could serve them. Yes, I know I could add value to them. And that's really helped me to build relationships in life. Now, for you personally, when it comes to happiness, because it's something that you speak about in such a profound way, 
Happiness for most people is an emotion. It's a state of mind. Could happiness also be seen as a skill, a mindset that could be learned? How can I be happy when I have these things in my life? How can I be happy if I'm going through these things? Is that someone, something that someone could learn and train their mind? And if so, what could they be doing to train their mind to be happy? Uh, the answer is yes. And again, it's interesting because Aristotle, he, he was the first to posit, actually, so for the Buddha was the first to posit that, uh, Aristotle, that happiness fundamentally can be practiced and can be trained. So that's the first answer. The second answer is, uh, um, again, you need to create an ecosystem. So it's not just about one thing. Although one thing already makes a difference, but it's about creating strategies that very often are very tailor-made because there is a substrata, okay? Like every person has their own sort of bioprints, their own microbiome, okay? Their own brain signature. Not many people don't know that, but every person has his own very specific brain signatures, right? So um, the strategies and the ecosystem for happiness, uh, we will come up with some general protocols, but ultimately is gonna be an extremely tailored uh, system because you really need to take the person into account, his background, uh, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and uh, I would say that these three simple things that I, that I just mentioned are already something that you can start to implement. And if you do it, it will definitely eventually train you to be happier, you know? Because with the first exercise, you become truer, okay? Truer to yourself, truer to others. First big thing, right? With the second exercise, you learn this mental yoga, this mental flexibility of fighting this ten tendency of rigidity of the mind and seeing possibilities, as you say, with gratitude, seeing and really seeing, not just, not just being stupid about it, but seeing the possibility that is inside things that at first sight would say no to, or you're like, ah, okay. And the third one, logically, um, in whichever way, the, the idea of, of creating a, a routine, just like you wash your body, wash your mind and heart daily, I would say is the greatest contribution to it. So start with these three things and you will be an happier person. You need to do it consistently. It's like, you know, going to gym. Um, you know, you don't expect to wake up Arnold Schwarzenegger after one week. You know, changes occur. But if every day you look at the mirror, am, am I bigger? Am I more defined? You're not going to see it the next day, not even three days later, not even a week later. You're not even probably two weeks later. But if you are consistent with it, three, six months down the line, whoa, you start to see something. Okay. So, and that's the same thing for happiness. People say, oh, I want something to be happy, quick, now, pronto. Well, again, you know, you don't wake up Arnold Schwarzenegger pronto. So I can give you the strategies, I can create for you the ecosystem, but you will still need to apply yourself to it over a period of time to, to, for the necessary changes to the place, because these changes are physiological, because you start to produce different hormones. When you are stressed and unhappy, you produce a certain cocktail of, of neuropeptides and hormones, okay? And your cells, 
okay, have receptors on them. Okay, do you know that our cells have receptors? So the more stressed you are, the more unhappy you are, the more frustrated you are, okay, the more you have numbers of receptors on the cells to receive the signals of these stress, um, you know, let's say hormones or neuropeptides or whatever is it, right? Now, when you go through the happiness process, you are clearing off the receptors of the cells, okay? And the cells start to create new receptors for serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, okay? But for these changes to the place, to, you know, to trim off the old cell receptors and to create the new receptors, to start to have a new chemist in your body, to start to have new thoughts in your mind, to start to change the brain signature, it takes time, right? So I give you the system, you got to be consistent. That, that's on you. It's the practice, practice, practice. You know, I am... Um... Speaking about happiness for me is a really, it's a fun thing, but I know for a lot of people in the world, um, they, um, they believe that happiness is not being sad. Happiness is not having fears. And in many cultures in the world, for people to, to get over fears and sadness, they, they drink, they abuse drugs, they overeat. So some people eating an amazing chocolate cake or binging in a big box of chips or smoking cigarettes or drink, getting drunk, is a way to get over, you know, sadness. Now, I know you've done a lot of studies uh, on, on using very, very specific um, drugs in order to enhance the way the mind works. Uh, microdosing is somewhat of a controversial discussion in some parts of the world, uh, but in other parts of the world, it's, a, it's, it's something that is being studied by many universities that... Um, there is a way to not abuse drugs, but there is a way to awaken specific parts of the body. Now, some people would say that, well, I can meditate and meditate and I can get to those states, which there's some that could do that. And some understand how to use mushrooms or LSD or whatever it is. You probably know the list of them. What's your position on that? And how can we share with people who have experiment, who are interested or are afraid, where is that world going to today, especially now where people are talking about vaccines and stuff and people are afraid of vaccines, people want answers, people are going through withdrawal, people are going through massive challenges in their lives and instead of them going a dark path towards drugs or alcohol, maybe we can guide them towards a better path that they cannot abuse it, but they can understand how to use it. Oh, sure, sure. Um, well, in the ecosystem of happiness, again, happiness and strategies for happiness, as I mentioned before, is fairly, it's fairly complex. Now, there is a, a large segment that uh, we are developing of what we call new technologies and hybrid technologies. Now, new technologies are technologies such as what Elon Musk is developing with Neuralink, okay? Uh, so technology, and that's, that's a bit of an extreme form, but to give you, to give you sort of an hyperbolis of it, all right? So technology that will dramatically and, and directly influence our brain and how it works so that they can literally alter our moods. Okay, that's new technologies and, and we are developing and covering that segment as well. Um, and I think that it's, there is a very exciting potential, although we are probably still uh, at the dome of it, but it's definitely part of our ecosystem, new technologies. 
the second part is what I call hybrid technologies and psychedelics uh, are hybrid technologies. That means that they are an external source, okay, but they combine with a specific internal sort of response or state, okay. And uh, to answer your question directly, I'm a great uh, um, um, supporter, believer in the work with psychedelics. As you can imagine, I'm, I've done uh, um, very extensive uh, personal empirical uh, use and research on them. Uh, Basically, from, you've tried it all. That's what you're telling us. Yeah, pretty, pretty much in, uh, in very intense uh, experience. I can officially say online that I have not yet. <laughs> we will, we will. <laughs> and uh, I've gathered and facilitated many groups around it. It's something that I consistently use successfully with many clients, not with everyone, but with, with many clients. And, and it's going to be part of the happiness ecosystem. So absolutely the answer is yes. Um, again, there is a bit of a know-how. You, you need to understand what psychedelics fit for what person. Um, and, and again, it's not for everyone. And then, of course, you need to have a bit of a know-how how to use it. It's microdosing. It's, it's sort of regular dose. It's called heroic dosing, which are sort of very big doses. You know, and then you need to know which specific practice connect with certain specific psychedelics. All right. So you need to know also different practices, different, let's say, meditations, let's say like this, right? They activate different parts of the brains. Now, different psychedelics, uh, they work with different parts of the brains. So you need to know how to match them, how to use them together. It's not just popping down a pill. Okay, otherwise, you know, that would have been easy. Everybody would already be happy. Uh, so again, those are um, fairly sophisticated strategies for happiness in the ecosystem, but the answer is yes, they are very effective. Um, I've tested them, I've seen the results. Uh, the researches are very solid. Uh, um, I'm, I'm a partner with the Beckley Foundation. Everybody can, can research on that, it's the largest uh, um, the research foundation in the UK for medical uh, research of psychedelics and their effects. Um, on, not just for psychiatric disorders, so how to relieve depression, but also to enhance uh, cognitive abilities and, and a general state of, of well-being of a person. So yes, the answer is yes. And uh, of course, with the caveat that you need to know what, what you do. Right. You know, for me, Happiness has been a, um, a, a journey uh, that I have um, I've really enjoyed. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, my, my name, Gil, means happiness in Hebrew. And I remember so clearly when I came to uh, Russia and I started getting on some stages and, you know, performing and, you know, kind of motivating people. In many, many cases, my, my lovely Russian friends didn't believe that this was authentic. They didn't believe that I could be happy all the time. They didn't believe that this was the real me. And I, I found that very, very strange because in most of my life, I found it very easy to be happy. I was just grateful for what I have. I was excited with the opportunities that I have in front of me. I was enjoying networking and meeting new people. Like life to me was a great gift. Now, the Dalai Lama I know said happiness comes from within and, and many, many people said that, you know, it's happiness 
could be, if we choose to be, our default position. So two questions in one. One, what is the opposite of happiness and can people kind of go through that? And, you know, what, what does it mean? How do we get out of that kind of opposite of, of happiness? And number two, um, how do we help people understand um, the simplicity of happiness? Because for me personally, happiness, is, it's, it's not that difficult to be happy. Like I don't, I don't get people who are so sad and upset in life. You know, people pass away in life. We, we lose money. We lose business. We're unhealthy sometimes, but okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm alive. I got my hands. I could see. I got, I got food today. It's like so, so many reasons to be happy. Is it okay to not be happy? You know, and what does that mean for people? Um, this one is a very good question. I mean, um, as, as an anthropologist and a psychologist, I mean, when, when you look at behavioral psychologists, uh, you would say that uh, if you take uh, the, the, the babies, okay, of any mammals, from bear to monkeys, uh, you know, lions and tigers to humans, and if you observe the natural behavior of babies, you would say that babies are naturally and tendentially happy going. Okay. So um, I would say that that is probably a very important signal that demonstrates that our basic tendency if undisturbed, without stressors from outside or whatever is it, right? Uh, we can look at it in childhood. And so we naturally, every single one of us has a natural tendency to be good, to be happy, okay? To be in a state of joy, you know? Children, they may cry five minutes and then, you know, you show them your dingle in front of them, something, and they, ah, you know, they forget about all the stress and the pain and blah, 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 blah. So there is this incredible ability that children have, right? And, and, and in Buddhism, they, they say that they are the best demonstration of the called the monkey mind, that jump from one branch to another branch. And now they're crying, and then you show them something else, and oops, they go there, right? And they smile. And, and so this great ability that children have to, um, let's say, let go, or, or literally let go, or, or, or don't pay too much attention, to these sort of uh, negative states and be able to jump and, and be naturally pulled toward more pleasurable state of mind. And then the ability of children to, uh, to fundamentally, not the ability, the, the condition that children display of being generally happy and playful uh, says a lot on our natural configuration. So, given the fact that we are as a base, as a mammal species, quite happy uh, at our start, then is a matter of understanding uh, the, the level of perceived or objective traumas that kind of undermine that. So the personal stories, the narrative, what Jung called the individuation of, of the self, right? We become an individual. And that individual, uh, it's marked by certain pivotal moment of history, which generally are painful, okay? Now, when we grow up, if we didn't grow up in a very organic way, these uh, uh, traumas, uh, they overtake our natural joy and, and, and happiness, natural state, and we can become, you know, unhappy, 
right? Frustrated, angry, depressed, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. But however real it feels, there is, there is a construct on top of our basic condition. So I go back to say that one of the big parts of my work is to deconstruct okay, these structures so that the natural condition that is under sort of can, can re-emerge. And, and this one, I, I hope that answered a bit your question. Um, for some people, it's easier. For some people, it's harder. There is also, we need to be very honest and realistic. You know, uh, there are people that, that more successfully and easily go through it. For some people, it is hard. That, that is also a fact. And that's where some of the hybrid technologies, such as psychedelics, or the new technology, such as this specific uh, uh, brain-mind-body stimulation, brain-body stimulations, uh, they come very useful, are for people that are a little bit more resistant, people that have a very hardened sort of shell around, okay? Hmm. You know, David, for, for many years now, I've been um, attempting to be uh, one of the greatest students of the, in the world in human networking. And by doing that, I've, I've also become a teacher in the world in, in that. And I'm still finding myself a very young student. And in, in my belief systems, they, in order to, to find the greatness and happiness and prosperity and growth and, and anything that we want to achieve in life, we need to constantly look at the people who are around us. From your studies uh, of different cultures, if people are looking to achieve happiness, what percentage is in their hands, truly in their control, and what percentage is because of the people that they have around them, that network that they have around them? This is a very, very good question. And um, if you do the first exercise that I gave you to do long enough, you will discover for yourself. Is this the, the one thing do, think, and say? Yeah. Okay. Really. Um, that is gonna help you to really understand what percent of your happiness is, or of your unhappiness is dependent on the wrong um, network or the wrong circle of people around you. Um, in terms of percentages, uh, I don't know of any statistic study that looked at this, so any number would be sort of a random number. Um, and uh, if we speak of how much depends on us, uh, it probably depends on how far, how advanced you are in your, uh, uh, let's say, personal practice, personal development. Logically, if you take uh, a trained Buddhist nun, a monk, um, actually, you know, we go back to Mahatma Gandhi, for example, right? I mean, it's a beautiful story. So someone who has worked at a certain level with his mind, uh, Mahatma Gandhi underwent uh, a, a, an urgent uh, um, um, surgery of peritonitis, okay, without anesthesia, talking to the doctors, okay, for example. And uh, so when someone arrives at that level, it's probably 90% you are in command of your happiness. There, are, there is very little that has power over you. The Buddha, one of the very many poignant, powerful uh, um, 
sort of example that he gave, you know, when a man cast in, uh, um, you know, T-shirt, how do we know that, that, that we are doing a reading? How do we know that, that, you know, that we are practicing properly, that we, we, we really realize your teachings? He says, monk, I tell you, when you will be sitting uh, in your meditation in the forest and some bandits arrive and start to mock you, you will remain undisturbed, full of loving kindness and compassion. And when that same bandit will come closer and start to throw you stones, you will remain unmoved, unperturbed, full of loving kindness and compassion. And when that bandit will come to you and seeing that you are unmoved will start to beat you up, you will remain unmoved, unperturbed, filled with loving kindness and compassion. And when that bandit is aspirated, will take out his knife and carve your flesh, you will remain unmoved, unperturbed, full of loving kindness and compassion. These omaks, it's how you know that you are practicing you know, my teachings. So, so I get goosebumps when I, when I, when I recite these things. Um, so coming back to your question, it depends on your level. The more a person takes complete responsibility of their own mind, and this one, it's easy to say, but not easily done. It requires hard practice every day over many years. The less external circumstances have power over you, people's circumstances, okay? So the other way around, the less a person is trained in mind training, the more people and circumstances have an effect. So again, I cannot give you a number, but I think you get my point. So basically if people are practicing constantly to um you know be in control of their mind they clean their heart they clean their minds constantly they're meditating they're keeping their core and their body very very strong um their their external network will not have as uh, a negative effect on them as it could if you're not as strong because people in the western world from my studies are constantly and fully affected by their network. And one of the most exciting things that I do these days is I help people audit and reset their network. They want to change industries. They want to change careers. They want to change countries. Change the people around you a little bit and everything could become better. Because for many people, it's difficult to fully work on their mind, to fully become a monk. My last question to you, David, is how can I, and everyone who's listening today or in the near future, help you hmm. how can i or anyone who is listening help me wow that's a very good question by practicing by becoming more responsible happier human beings and contribute to make this world a beautiful place I would say that that's probably really the thing because together we are stronger. Okay, so my work is your work, your work is my work, ultimately, right? And, uh, and if you were listening to what we discussed, if you have some idea after what you heard, that you say, I know how I can help, I know how I can contribute, I want to be part of this, then please let us know. Yes, yes, yes. We say yes. So we welcome you with any 
meaningful idea, contribution you want to give that you feel, that you think, we are here. I love that. And what's the easiest way to reach out to you, David? Um, well, uh, my email, Instagram, uh, uh, probably these two, you know, that's easy. Okay. So if anybody wants David's email address and you're not sure how to find him, feel free to write um, myself or our team. We'll make sure to connect you together. You can find David on, on Instagram very, very easily. And I'm sure on other social medias, he's a very beautiful Italian man. So it's not difficult to, you know, confuse him with someone else. Uh, David, it's been uh, such an absolute pleasure, man. I love having you as a friend of my life. I love that you were able to join us on the Collective Genius Code podcast and join us today live with so many great people around the world. Uh, thank you so much once again, David. See you guys. See you. Thanks, Gil.